good morning, airline. Hope everyone is doing good. Man, we're just excited about this week, excited about, about Thanksgiving. Of course, we're, you know, we're excited about filling our bellies with, with good food. But when I think about this week, I think about really it's just a time where me and my family reflect on the, the year that, that we've had and the things that have come and gone and the things and the trials that we've been through. And we just want to rejoice this morning in the Lord's faithfulness and His goodness and His greatness because He's brought us all through so many things because of how wonderful He is and how powerful He is. And we just want to sing about that this morning and lift Him up and let His name be glorified. So let's stand and sing Christ our glory.
Thanksgiving. I, I challenged us on Wednesday night to remember what to be thankful for. And we read this in Exodus 15. So the Israelites have just crossed over in through the Red Sea. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. As we go into this week, we think about God's goodness. Let us not miss the opportunity this morning to celebrate God's goodness. Just as we just sung, our heart is naturally drifting away from God's goodness and thinking and reflecting on God's goodness. So let us not miss the opportunity this morning to worship him for who he is and all that he has done. If you're visiting with us, so excited that you're here. My name's Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Airline. I'd love to connect with you after worship, and there's a card in the seat back somewhere near you. Um, we'd love for you to fill that out. We have a gift for you for being here with us this morning. We'd love to give you that gift on the way out. Or if you have prayer needs or prayer concerns, be more than happy to pray over those and share those with our staff to pray. And thank you so much for being here this morning. I'm going to pray and then we'll go into our time of offering as we continue in worship, giving God part of, giving God back what he has blessed us with. And so let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We praise you. God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to worship. 
God, let us not take for granted that we have this opportunity, this opportunity to corporately worship you, to gather together with our extended family to make much of the name of Jesus. So God, be with us during this time. God, would you take this offering, would you use it for your kingdom and for your glory? We love you. We praise you. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Seated at your table, Jesus. 
last part with us. Holy. God, let us be reminded of who you are, your goodness, your holiness. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our song. You're worthy of our life. We bow our life to exalt thee, that we would live a life that would glorify you in the way that we talk, in the way that we live, in the way that we treat others, that we would love God and love our neighbor. God, all the things that have come our way, whether they are stressful or full of anxiety or health issues or death of loved ones and all the things that happen in a year's time, God, it's in your hands. You hold all things together. You are just and you are good. Things don't happen without your knowledge and without your foreknowledge. You knew that it was going to happen, Father. It didn't catch you off guard. So, God, we praise you in that. We lift you up because it's been hard. It's been a hard year. And sometimes we didn't know what to do or where to turn, but we always knew that if we would just slow down and praise you, lift you up, pray for others even. God, that your presence and your peace and your joy would, would fill our hearts and heal our lives. And God, that we could continue on because of how wonderful you are. So Lord, we praise you this morning. We love you. God, prepare us for your word. God, we love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Taylor and the band for leading us in worship this morning. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We are headed towards home with the book of James. And so uh, I'm looking forward to wrapping this up. I was having a conversation before church that uh, James has stepped on some toes throughout this series. Um, and and, and what, what I want you to understand is, I made the joke, I said, well, get your toes out of the aisle. I'm, I'm just kidding. But before it steps on your toes, it steps on my toes. So I, I, don't, I want you to understand that uh, before I stand to preach, the weight of the book of James has been firmly on my life as well as we have worked our way through it. But I'm, I'm excited to see what God does with it as we wrap up and, and look ahead to what God has coming up in the future. But I hope you had a good day yesterday of watching college football. And so 
Troy won. Georgia squeaked one out. As usual, maybe Georgia will eventually play somebody. Um, I'm, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Um, but I, I think it's, I'm not going to shock anyone when I say this. I'm, I'm a big fan of college football. Um, I don't think anyone's going, wow, I never would have guessed that. Um, but one of the things that annoys me and I don't understand is the love of interviewing coaches. And here's why, because coaches are never completely transparent during those interviews. Like, I, I don't understand the post-game interview. It's always the same thing. That was a really good team we played. They got really good players. It's just the same thing. Like, no coach after a loss is going to go, yeah, they've got good players. Do you see what we're working with? Like, they're not going to say that. They're not going to win the game and be like, yeah, I'm surprised we didn't win by more. Like, you're not going to hear that. And you're not going to get completely, I, I definitely don't understand the, the middle of the game interviews. Have y'all noticed that this year? Like in between quarters, they're interviewing coaches, like they're trying to talk to their players and they're getting pulled aside by a reporter. Like, do, do they really think that the coach is going to give them the actual game plan? Like, well, we'll see, we've been running cover three and cover three is not working, so we're going to adjust and go cover four right here. Like, do, do they really expect that kind of answer? And even those answers are all the same. Well, see, what we've got to do is we've got to keep them from scoring and we've got to score. Really? Is that the goal? I've played football my entire life and coached football. I never knew that was the goal of football, to keep them from scoring and for us to score. So coaches are never transparent in those interviews, so I don't understand why we, why we have to do them. But several years ago, there, there actually was an interview that was pretty transparent, pretty honest. You, you may remember this. Back in the late 2000s, there was an interview that was done with Tom Brady. And they were interviewing at this time, he had won three or four Super Bowls. And in this interview, he makes this comment, he makes the statement. He says, I look at all of this and I go, surely there is something more. Like this is a dude who has millions of dollars, has multiple Super Bowl rings. He's literally married to a supermodel and he's looking at all of that and he goes, this can't just be it. There has to be something more. By any secular standard, this dude is winning at life. And yet, when he looks at all of his power, fame, accomplishments, bank accounts, he's going, surely there's something more than this. And of course, the entire church goes, yes, we have the answer. But what James is going to deal with today is that exact question. What do we place the emphasis on? And this has been something we've talked about all throughout the book of James. Do we place the emphasis on the temporary? Or do we place the emphasis on what is eternal? So James 5, 1 through 6, we'll read it and then look at a few things. James writes, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in these last days. 
Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. We pray now as we open up your word, would you speak to us today? God, let us leave this place with our eyes and our hearts fixed on eternity, not the temporary. And so, God, would you speak to us, and we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And we pray all of this in Christ's name, amen. So two things that we see, really kind of two movements in the text, kind of right down the middle. First, I want us to see this idea of the agony of pursuing the temporary. The agony of pursuing the temporary. And here's what I mean by this, by pursuing the temporary, that our lives are centered and fixed on pursuing things that will not last. We've probably all made purchases of things that we regret purchasing or immediately broke upon purchasing. But yet we can center our lives around pursuing things that will not last. So James, going back to verse 1, says, come now, or listen up, or look. He says, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. So James is going, those of you who are rich, again, he's talking to the church. The, the church is comprised of all different types of socioeconomic backgrounds. And so he's saying, look, those of you who have wealth, those of you who have money, understand the weight of this. He tells them to weep and to howl for the misery that's coming upon them says, when you understand the weight of this, it will break you. So weep and howl. And he gives the reason why. He says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. So you've spent your entire life trying to accumulate riches. You spent your entire life trying to accumulate the nicest clothes. Because it's just in James' day where clothes is a symbol of wealth, right? Like that doesn't apply to today, does it? Like not at all? He says you've spent your life doing this. And then when you finally look at it, the riches are rotten. Not only that, those nice clothes, they've been moth-eaten. You see, here's the danger of pursuing the temporary, is that we can build our lives around things that do not last. And so the agony is realizing it too late. That I've built my life around having this massive bank account. I've built my life around having the nicest clothes. I've built my life around you fill in the blank. And then I get to the end of my days and I look back on all of that and I go, where's it at? It wasn't what I thought it would be. It's rotten and broken. It's rotten and moth 
Eden. He says, your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Now it's interesting here that James uses the metaphor of gold and silver because these are precious metals. And gold actually only corrodes when it's an alloy mixed with some other type of metal. I never had to dig into metal, metallurgy for a sermon prep before. But he uses these two examples. Because it's not like some other type of metal that you just leave outside for a couple weeks and it begins to rust. These are precious metals. And yet he says they have corroded. They have begun to disintegrate. They have lost their value. Now what causes them here to corrode and disintegrate? What, what is James talking about? That they have just simply been stored up. What James is talking about is hoarding these things to the point where they're just stored up, they're not used, and they begin to corrode. So this is the reason James says, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. Some translations say they will testify against you. And within James' context, he's talking about them withholding wages from their workers that we'll see here in just a moment. But he's saying, this storehouse you have built up is going to be the testimony, the evidence against you. That you haven't used it for anything of eternal value. You haven't done what is right with it. That when the rich person stands in the court of law, James is saying, exhibit A will be this storehouse of corroded gold and silver. Why? Because they didn't use it for what is right. And they actually acquired it from evil means. Now, when we think about our lives, I don't want to just simply focus in on the money part of things. Don't worry, we've already taken up the offering. You don't have to hold your wallet that close. We're not taking up another offering. But when we think about all facets of our life, we, we like to focus in on the treasure portion, which we should talk about. But what about the other facets of our life? What about our time and our talents that we also talk about? How many of us will have evidence used against us because we had time and talents that we stored up and didn't use for God's glory? That we hoarded these time and these talents instead of being used for his kingdom and for his glory. Not just the money side of things. That they have corroded, they have lost their value because instead of being used, they were just simply stored up. They were just simply put away for a rainy day. Now, when we think about this as well, in the context of a church body, I, f I firmly believe, hear me out this morning, that the Bible calls us to be good stewards of money, right? We're, we're not called to live recklessly. I believe that to be true in the life of the individual and that to be true in the life of a corporate body of believers. 
And so like today, we're talking at a church conference in a little bit, we're gonna be talking about next year's budget. And so we wanna be wise stewards for what God has given us. But hear me this morning, we are not called to be a investment banking agency. We are not called to store up as much as we can for a rainy day. We wanna be good stewards, yes. But Mike, I just can't help but wonder, on the day that Christ returns for his bride, how much money will be sitting in church bank accounts that were not used for the gospel? that were not used to take the gospel to the nations, that were not used to make disciples of the nations. That Christ returns and there's all this gold and silver that have corroded. So yes, we want to be good stewards of what God has given. So that's why as, as, as a church, just in full transparency, as we have, as, as the finance committee and, and Mike and I, as we have worked through next year's budget, we tried to be good stewards and cut where we could, but here's where we're at. We are going to trust God to provide what only he can provide. That we have believed God has called us to a particular mission here as a church on this hill and we are going to trust God to provide the means to accomplish that mission. Amen? So that's where we're at, and that is our challenge as a church. And as I said, you'll be hearing more about that later on. But as James is looking at these individuals who are pursuing a life of the temporary, pursuing a life of stockpiling things into a storehouse to the point where it is corroding and of no value. He says, you have laid up treasure in these last days. Now, I don't want to mess with your eschatology here. But James is writing very early in the New Testament. And James describes the present time in which he lived as the last days. And so the question is, are we living in the last days? Yes, we have been in the last days since the book of James. Hey, tracking with me there? So are we living eschatologically in the last days? Yes. We always have been in the last days. But notice what James is saying, you have laid up treasure in the last days. This probably brings back familiar language that Jesus uses as he talks about laying up treasure in heaven. Which is why I believe James is drawing this off of. But instead of the church laying up treasure in heaven, what is he accusing them of? Laying up treasure in these last days. What have they done? Instead of laying up their treasure, instead of leveraging their treasure for what is eternal, what will last, they have laid up their treasure in what is temporary and will be gone. And how often do you and I do the same thing today? And we realize the agony of that because it will not last. That, that I can live my life in such a way that I want to leverage my time for now. I want to leverage my time for me. I want to leverage my time where everything is centered around me and it will not last. 
I can leverage my talents for me. I can leverage my talents to elevate me to the highest position I can get to. I can leverage those things for me, and it will not last. I can leverage my treasure for now to give me the most comfortable, the happiest life, but it will not last. Or hear me out this morning. I can leverage my time, my talents, and my treasure in such a way that it reverberates through the doors of eternity and it's echoed throughout the halls of heaven. What will I leverage it on? See, I can lay up that treasure for now. Or I can lay up that treasure into eternity. And hear me, the agony will not come. It's gonna be uncomfortable now. It may mean that I am sacrificial now. But once I see the impact that that had into eternity, once I see the impact that it had that will last, instead of merely being a mist, there's not gonna be agony there. It will last. So we see the agony of pursuing the temporary, but then lastly, we see the aftermath of pursuing the temporary. So there's a personal agony that comes when I pursue the temporary, when I realize I have built and centered my life around something that will not last. But there's a result of that. He says, behold, the wages of your laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So in James' context, he's writing to this because those who were rich had reached their means of riches by defrauding others. Particularly that they weren't paying their laborers their what does he say? They're crying out against you. But James takes it another step further when he says, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You see, now all of a sudden, they got God involved. He says, God is aware of this. He says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So notice what he says here that instead of looking to the needs of others, you have lived life in such a way that you have made it about yourself. That you've lived in luxury, you've lived in self-indulgence. And while others are going hungry, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So while others are starving, you've only taken care of yourself. James says you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. He says you've condemned and murdered the righteous person. And only a not only that, is he's not even resisting you in that. You're just simply taking advantage of him. 
You see, the aftermath of living a life pursuing the temporary is that I will leave behind a trail of bodies behind it. That's the point that James is making. That you've pursued this and here's the result. Here's the aftermath. That you've defrauded. Here's the aftermath. You have condemned and murdered them while you have lived in luxury and self-indulgence. You see, if my life is centered around me, if my life is centered around maximizing this side of eternity, that I want to get the best career that I can have so I can make the most money for myself, then it doesn't matter how many bodies I leave in the way. I'm just simply going to climb the corporate ladder. And you better not get in my way of climbing the corporate ladder or you'll end up in the trail behind me. And it may not be intentional, but there can also be a trail of bodies behind you because you have pursued something that is temporary and you have neglected what is most important. How many marriages have been ruined by pursuing the temporary? How many families have been broken by pursuing the temporary? Instead of pursuing what is eternal. Instead of pursuing what will last. That there's a aftermath to this. And that's the danger, church. If we choose to pursue this side of eternity, if we choose our emphasis to be living our best life now, there's an aftermath that's behind it. Instead, we can go, what does it look like to live for? eternity. And so this brings us to our central idea this morning. In light of the gospel, we can either pursue to take what we cannot keep or give away what we cannot lose. In light of the gospel, we can either pursue to take what we cannot keep or give away what we cannot lose. Here's what I mean by that. That I can center my life around pursuing what is temporary. And the day that I stand before Christ, none of that will be around me. The day that I step foot into eternity, I'm not taking a car, I'm not taking a bank account, I'm not taking a house. It will just be me stepping into eternity. So I can, I can spend my life focused on those things or I can spend my life focused on giving away the gospel. I can spend my life focused on giving away that which I cannot lose, that which is eternal, that which will last forever. As the man comes back to the stage,
thank God in his good providence. I'll be honest, I wrestled with whether or not to preach this text this morning, considering we're going into Thanksgiving week. This doesn't seem like a very Thanksgiving-esque message to preach. But I think God in his good providence has us here this morning. Because this is a question that all of us must wrestle with. What exactly am I pursuing? What exactly is it that I have built my life around? Have have I built my life around something that will not last? Or have I built my life around something that will echo into eternity? Because it does tie into Thanksgiving. Because if I'm centered around the here and now, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be thankful. Why? Because it's always what's next. But if I'm centered around eternity, I can be thankful for what God has blessed me with today. Why? Because God's blessed me with it. I'm not looking ahead to the next thing. But what are we pursuing? What are we looking ahead to? When we think about our time, is my time leveraged for me or for eternity? When I think about the talents that God has given me, the skills, the gifts, are those things leveraged for me or for eternity? And lastly, when I think about my treasure, is it leveraged for me or eternity? Those are things we all must wrestle with. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. If you want to come pray, this altar is open. If you need somebody to pray with, I'll be standing over here to the side. But let us be honest before God this morning. Where are we focused? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you and to make much of you. God, I know it was a hard message this morning. But God, help us to be honest before you. God, are we focused on what will rot and rust? Or are we focused on what will echo into eternity? Because God, we know what you have for us in eternity is infinitely better than anything that will rot or rust on this side of it. So God, help us to have our eyes and our hearts fixed on eternity. And God, we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond today.
Have a seat. Again, thank you so much for being here today. Um, we'll give us a couple quick announcements and then we will go into a quick church conference, talk through a few things as we approach the end of this year. Um, and so while I'm giving announcements, we're going to pass out um, some church conference stuff and budget stuff. Um, if you're visiting with us today, you're more than welcome to hang out for church conference. We, we have no secrets, nothing to hide, but also understand if you go, I really don't want to look at the church's budget. I understand that as well. Um, and so in just a moment, I'll pray and dismiss us before church conference. And if you're, if you're visiting and love to catch me in the lobby, I'll stand back there for a few minutes as we get started. Um, you can see a few things coming up, of course, this week. Um, no Wednesday night activities here on campus. We know folks are going to be traveling, getting ready for Thanksgiving, um, as well as you, you may just be getting ready for Thanksgiving at your house. Um, so no Wednesday night activities. We'll gather back together um, Sunday morning. And then I have waited to talk about this because I'm of the camp that you don't talk about Christmas until after Thanksgiving. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay. Um, I, got some, I got some head shake and some nose as well. Um, but we've got a busy month of December coming up. And so you can see a few things coming up. December 10th. Okay, December 10th, that Sunday evening, um, we're going to have Ernie Haas and Signature Sound that night. Now, I know some of you have been asking um, why we haven't talked about that yet a whole lot. Um, really, it, it's a, there's a third party that's really organizing it, and we're kind of just hosting it that night. 
Um, so it's not really a, a church ministry event that we're doing, but we are hosting it. Um, but what we are asking, if you're interested in helping out with that event, we're expecting a pretty large turnout that night. Um, and so we would love to have some airline folks here to kind of open doors, kind of be in the parking lot to help people navigate where to go. Um, so if you're interested in helping out with that, or you can just attend. <laughs> so that's an option as well, um, if that's something you're interested in attending and being a part of. December 17th will be our, that evening, that Sunday evening will be our children's musical. Um, so I invite you to come back for that, bring some friends, bring some family members to come be a part that evening. And then December 24th, we're going to be having candlelight and communion that night. Um, it's going to be really, really short, really sweet. We just really wanted to gather together as a church body um, on Christmas Eve to sing some songs together, um, but also to take communion, um, which may seem weird to take communion on Christmas Eve, um, but I will explain to you Christmas Eve why it is not to take weird to take communion together on Christmas Eve. Um, and so those are got a lot going on in the month of December. And so be in prayer for all of those things, great opportunities for us. And I know there's a few other things coming up, but I'm gonna pray for us. And as I pray, we'll, that will bring in our time of uh, church conference. And then, as I said, if you're visiting, you're more than welcome to stay for church conference. Um, if that does not interest you at all, you're more, more than welcome to um, exit as well. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, would you be with us now during this time of church conference. God, let it be honoring and glorifying to you as we talk about what you are doing here at this church on the hill. God, we just give you all the praise, honor, glory for seeing us through this year. And God, what you have in store for us. And so God, we love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.